0: This is The Educated Home Buyer. Everything you need to know to
1: buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership.
0: Welcome back to The Educated Home Buyer. Josh and I were recently featured on a podcast, One Rental at a Time, with Michael Zuber. Many of you might have heard the episode that we recorded with Michael here on our podcast just a couple of days ago, but this episode is a little bit different, and we're discussing what the educated home buyer is all about, why Josh and I continue to show up every single week and do this podcast help home buyers. So with that said, take a listen to the conversation that we had with Michael and why we believe it's so important to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and finance. Without further ado, here you go.
1: Folks, one of the things I strive to do at One Rental at a Time is network with other amazing individuals. And when those amazing individuals launch something brand new, I want to hear about it. I want to be a part about it. We have the one and only Jeb Smith who's coming back, but we also now have Josh Lewis. They've just launched a podcast called The Educated Home Buyer. And I want to learn more. How you doing, Jeb?
0: Doing great, man. Appreciate you
1: uh you having me back. Happy Absolutely. to be. Absolutely. And Josh, how are you doing? Tell the tell the audience a little bit about yourself because they know who Jeb is.
2: Absolutely. So Jeb's the expert on the real estate side, even though he started in mortgage. So I've done this, this is my 27th year. I like to tell everyone I'm a one trick pony. I know mortgages and real estate investing. Those are about the uh, the only two things I can help you with maybe fantasy football on top of that. Um. <laughs> uh, too good.
1: I like it. Like it one trick pony. So, you, so, so how you translate that is you were involved with mortgage pre GFC during GFC and after GFC, which not a lot of people can say because that that uh, that burned you know, like a lot of people exited the business
2: absolutely. And there's an interesting piece, like you're probably shocked because I don't look that old, but uh, <laughs> I sit here and I say, <laughs> There's, there's a generation of people before me that everything was manual. We at least had computer software for doing loan applications and that type of stuff. Like the people, the generation before me, five, 10 years, they would literally do your loan application in a typewriter. And if they have a typo, yeah. they throw that thing away and start over. So I didn't have to suffer through that, but I was the first generation that had automated underwriting. I remember our uh, underwriter saying, well, this is insane. They can't replace us. And that was sort of the thought. Obviously, it didn't replace them. It augmented what they do. They interpret the, the input that we have in the loan application and the guidelines that come out of the automated underwriting findings. And they tell us what the conditions are. But the interesting thing is by 2000, um, you know, we got we got automated underwriting, DU, Fannie Mae's system in 1997. By 2000, we were doing stated income, stated asset loans with automated underwriting. So you had that generation from there until the financial crisis of loan officers who thought you put a name and social in a loan application and pull credit and run it through the automated and it comes back, you're good, that mm-hmm. don't have any idea how to do files. I mean, we don't have a lot of manual underwriting today at all other than FHA and VA but most loan officers have no idea even how to accomplish that. So again, in 27 years of doing this, we've seen um, good things, uh, people buying their homes, buying investment properties. We've seen people going crazy. Probably the best investor I ever saw also became the worst investor and cashed out of everything and bought new construction in Visalia and Tulare and eventually went bankrupt um, when that market crashed. So We've seen a lot of stuff through those 27 years. Jeb and I have been friends since 2008, I think. So we're going on on 15 years. And uh, I think we got tired of just having long conversations by ourselves and said, hey, if we just record this, it would probably be beneficial to to some people.
1: (laughs) That is awesome. Well, I do want to talk about the mission goal of uh, educated homebuyer. It's something that obviously means a lot to me. Kind of my history starts there. My family bought a house in, in Sunnyvale, California for- I don't know, sub 40 grand in, in the seventies. And, you know, without that home purchase, I have no idea what would happened, but it would not have been good. So I love the goal of that, but let, let's talk about it. What is the, what is the vision for the podcast, Jeff?
0: You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's simple. It's to help, you know, buyers buy, right, borrow smart and build wealth. And, and so what does that mean? I mean, you know, as somebody that bought their first house in 2004, I had zero, you know, knowledge of, of what I was doing. In fact, I was just kind of guided through the process. Um, and coming out the other side was highly leveraged. I, I, I started young and that I made really good money. Um, and, uh, had a wife that made really good money. And so got into the, you know, first home, you know, 10, 20, what that property was 10% down. Um, it was a, it was a large investment. And at the end of the day, I had no idea what just happened. And I was like, Oh my god! I just bought a you know one point two million dollar house. Have no idea how I got here. Um, was fortunate enough, you know, to continue to make money and and do other things. But looking back on it, and and being in the in the mortgage side, um, transitioned to the real estate side back you know fully in two thousand twelve. So I was actually um, in the mortgage business through the through the heyday as well. But just having conversations with people and no one ever asking any questions, just yeah. going through the process, doing essentially what you told them to do to some extent and coming out the other side, they own a home, have no idea how they got there. And so, you know, as I've become older, more experienced in in being in the business, for me, it was important to kind of, you know, kind of look back on on that time and go, what do I, what had I what did I wish I had known back then as a younger person, you know, cause they don't teach this stuff in school and taking, you know, your real estate exams, taking, you know, any sort of mortgage exam, they don't teach you about real estate. It's all about real estate law. It has nothing to do with the foundation of real estate, why it's important, how it builds wealth, all of the important things that what I think real estate is, is really all about and so Josh and I, in having these conversations said, you know, we're having a lot of the same conversations every day. You know, people that do ask questions, ask similar questions. Um, and a lot of them are really good questions. And you can go out there and search the internet and you can get some answers here and there. And you get you can even get some answers that aren't accurate. So what we yeah. wanted to do is find a place. We had a common goal of, of creating that educated home buyer, somebody that is, you know, maybe they're two years out from buying a house. Maybe they already own a couple of pieces of real estate and they're just looking, you know, maybe they they were that person that got into, to owning a home and have no idea how they got there. And maybe they're just looking to gain further knowledge. And so that's really where the podcast comes from. It's, it's about the foundations of real estate, but in detail, it's more about, you know um, you know, different, pieces of that puzzle. You know, we talk about everything in detail from mortgage insurance, the loan estimate. And for a lot of people, even in Josh and I's conversation and planning this sort of thing, I go, Josh, that's a super boring topic. Like nobody wants to know about the loan estimate. And we talk about it for 30 minutes in detail. And it ends up being the most downloaded episode and people (laughs) commenting on it. And I was like, dude, I guess I'm wrong. That is what people want to know. So it's really that. Um, And then Every week, we also do a live Q&A that we post on the podcast as well. So one episode is really about the foundations of real estate, and the other one is taking people's questions live, answering them on the podcast to give them the information they want to hear.
1: Well, we will do this at the end, but I think this is a nice time. Josh, where can people find this wonderful podcast?
2: Uh, The Educated Home Buyer. Uh, So if you're looking at YouTube, if you like your podcasts on YouTube, it's at youtube.com at The Educated Home Buyer, Um, or we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the places where you would go to find uh, a podcast. So just search for The Educated Home Buyer and you will find these two guys talking.
1: Awesome. Well, let me set the stage for what I believe. And again, I, you know, I've been looking at real estate for 23 years now. I believe today is the hardest time to be a first-time home buyer in my 23 years. And I don't say that in hyperbole. It's affordability near record lows with 1981 being the only year worse, at least. It, and it could get worse from here, but 81 was worse. Um, inventory is going the wrong direction. And I think inventory is actually not reported correctly. I think a lot of the inventory we're seeing is median. Wish pricing, we're seeing luxury stack up. So the first-time homebuyer home, the affordable home is is missing in action, and unfortunately, we will be missing in action for quite a while given interest rate lock-in. Builders, at least as of yet, Pulte is making some noise about going smaller, but they're not building these things out there. Obviously, we have the regional banking crisis going on, which at least is scaring some lenders and pulling back. What do we? What? I mean, does a first-time homebuyer just give up? and just wait till next year and hope things get better? What do we we want to tell a first-time home buyer today? I'll let either of you start.
2: Jeb, why don't you follow up? But this, we get a lot of inquiries through Jeb's large YouTube channel, through the podcast. And people always ask me like, hey, with rates up, affordability down, are you like just bored? You're sitting around, no one to talk to? No, I talk to as many people as I ever talk to. The difference is Maybe about 20 to 30% of them are both able to transact, so they still qualify for something they would be happy with in the current market, and decide that that's the best decision for them. You know, I think one of the biggest crazy misconceptions we get or comments that we get uh, on the YouTube channel is, oh, you guys, uh, Jeb sells real estate and you do mortgages. You're trying to talk people into buying. You're going to be a permable. They say, well, here's the interesting thing. As I said before, I've done this for 27 years. Jeb's done this for 20 years. We went through probably the worst market anyone is ever going to see. If we survive that, we're going to survive this. I am a professional financial advisor on the liability side of your balance sheet. I don't ever want you to do something that's going to put you in a bad situation. So my job is to help you analyze those numbers and determine when the right entry point is. You know, we were talking earlier at any given point, point, 65 percent of American households choose to be homeowners. So that's that. And that's been that way for 50 years. So it's not going to change. The majority of of American households want to own their home. So the question isn't, should you own your home? It's when should you own your home? When should you transition from being a renter to a buyer? And Jeff, that's what we try to do with the educated home buyer is we'll help you analyze the numbers. And when you decide it is right for you, how would you do it the optimal way to set yourself up for long-term success?
1: Yeah. And, follow and, on, and,
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, to follow up on that, Josh, we always talk about, when is the right t- time to buy? Or addressing that question, when is the right time to buy? When should I buy a home? It's all about buying when it's the right time in your life. And for some people, that might be 25. For other people, it might be 35. And I think that number is going to tend to, 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 to move a little bit toward the uh, older side, just because of something you mentioned earlier there, in, in Michael, in, in the fact that affordability is an issue. We have a problem with affordability. And and, and the reason I say it's going to tend to to be toward the older side is because of what it costs to get into a home these days you know you can still buy a house with three five percent down but the majority of people out there looking to buy homes you know in order to buy that first home a lot of first-time home buyers now it's dual income they're married um you know they they're they're you know got other factors helping them be able to purchase a home whereas you know 10 years ago you could have Purchased a home a lot less expensively because again, interest rates were lower, house prices were lower. So the goal for us isn't to get you to just buy a house. We at the end of the day, Josh and I don't really benefit if you buy a house. How we benefit is by educating you so that you make the right decisions for yourself and that, you know, you reach back out to us at some point in the future and say, I'm really glad I I did that and didn't listen to the crash bros, didn't listen to the other people out there telling me that you know, homeownership was dead because at the end of the day, we know, and we've, we've, we mentioned this stat earlier, homeownership, homeowners have a 44 times greater net worth than, than individual renters. And it's because of appreciation. It's because you're fixing that payment. It's, you know, those are really the foundations of, 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 of owning real estate. And and the goal here is to help as many people as possible get there by learning the basics and letting them apply it when it's the right time in their life.
1: Yeah. It's really funny. Right. So one of the things, I, I don't know if either of you know this, but so what my education's actually economics, right? That was actually my degree went on to get a master, all that, all that education stuff. But the funny thing is, is demand. And Josh kind of brought this up. Demand is a two-step function. And either of these steps are, no, you're not included in the demand picture. So what is, what is the two-step function? It's willing and able, Mm -hmm. right? You want to buy a home. Okay, you're willing. But are you, quote unquote, to lose a mortgage mortgage term, mortgage eligible? Able. Now, in today's world, you might be able, but you're scared. So again, you don't count as demand, right? So these two functions are constantly moving. I love the fact that you boil it down to the individual. That That is my biggest... I don't know, challenge in the YouTube world is a lot of channels kind of try to preach one answer where with real estate and frankly, investing and finance, it's very much individual. So please folks, do the work for yourselves. Are you willing? Are you able? Are you able but not willing? Those are very different things. And I understand it's really scary right now. I lived through the Great Recession. It was really scary then. I did the dot-com. It was really scary then. Wealth is made in recessions. One thing I would tell everyone of the three recessions I've been through as an adult, the lion's share of my wealth was built by buying, having the courage and confidence to buy in the recession. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes to, again, if you're new, working with a mortgage broker like Josh, who's just going to have the brass tacks conversation with you. So, Josh, talk to me about the demand side, willing and able, what you're seeing. And then I'm going to go to Jeb for the supply side because that has its own unique constraints as well.
2: It really is an affordability issue and an affordability problem. When the market was going up aggressively, late 2020, all through 2021, we had people that were saying like, these prices are crazy, who can afford this? And they say, well, lots of people can afford it. And if you look, First American does, uh, their housing affordability index takes into account interest rates, home prices, incomes. And we still had a relatively high level of affordability and therefore home prices were going up. Now we've hit a very low level of affordability. And to, to tell you how sensitive the market is to that, especially our market in California, where if you look at the published numbers of debt-to-income ratio, California has the highest debt-to-income ratios of anywhere in the country. Doesn't mean that we've got poor people in California. We've got real expensive real estate despite high incomes. So when we're we're looking at that now we're down to the number where there are very few people that can, can qualify. Phone's still ringing like crazy. We're having lots of, of conversations. And you know I've got a gentleman right now, VA buyer, $600,000. He's going to put 5% down, even though he qualifies for, for zero down. And that payment is almost $4,000 a month. That's wow. that's a crazy number when you look at it. But where I was going, what we saw when when we peaked uh, late October, early November and in interest rates up near 7%. Well, then we ran down slightly under 6% and you saw that demand come back up. Why? The demand was always there. The willing demand was always there. The able demand wasn't there. So now we have, did affordability go from 14% to 22% in Southern California in the Bay Area? No, but it might've gone from 14% to 18%. And all those people- It's about the margin, yeah. Yeah, all those people in that gray area are like, whoa, I better do this while I can, I can handle that payment, I can qualify for the house that I want. And they came back in. Now, unfortunately, we've seen given a little bit of that back, and we're back to the mid sixes. And we're in this little range where lots of people want to buy, less people are either able to qualify. And it's not, I don't have people go, hey, sorry, you don't qualify. It's hey, at current interest rates, you qualify for three hundred ninety-five thousand dollars. That doesn't help me. It's it's five ninety-five to get a house in my market or whatever right. the numbers may be. So that's that's what we're seeing. So if and when interest rates moderate, you know there are some really smart people that Jeb and I follow and read that say interest rates never going back under six percent. I believe that we will have them there. We're, we're not likely to go back to three percent until we have another financial crisis. But if you get a four and a half five percent interest rate. We have affordability probably double what it is right uh-huh. now for, for our market.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you you look no further than the numbers published by NAR this morning. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw it, but home sales last month were 4 million. They were 4.5 million annualized. So again, yeah. interest rates matter. The margin matters. It, home sales went up fifteen point, no 14.5% in a month. Uh-huh. Interest rates matter. But Jeb, we got to come back to supply. This is a uh-huh. unique time. Right. We averaged six, six and a half million transactions for well over a decade. Uh, We did five million last year. We'll do probably something under four million this year, i.e. affordability. Uh But we also have a supply problem. I just interviewed a top one percent agent in King County, also called Seattle. And we just looked at the inventory over the last six years. It's at the lowest level. And then if you bifurcate it by affordable versus luxury, it's even worse. Uh I think this interest rate lock in is real. I was talking I was involved in a Fortune article talking about this. Where's the supply coming from for the first time home buyer?
0: That's an interesting, interesting question. I mean, you mentioned, you know, King County and and, or Seattle rather. I mean, inventory where we are as of this morning is 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 back at the lows that we saw in April of last year. Um, well, that's not good. So, so not you know good. we're sitting Orange County, California, three point three million people. Today we have about twenty one hundred and seventy homes on the market. Just so we're
1: what, what do we what do we have in December? That was probably near the well. We start we started
0: times? the we started the year at twenty five something twenty five. So you're down
1: twenty eight. I don't know eighteen percent. Okay. Yeah.
0: So so we're down considerably since the start of the year. Wow. Um, so the inventory at the moment is coming from those that need to sell for one reason or another, in my opinion, or those that felt like they missed the opportunity mm-hmm. and they're you know trying to catch play catch up if you will um you know three out of the last four transactions i've done have been off market deals mm-hmm. three those three deals that i'm talking about they're off market all they all had a reason to move um yeah. one was moving she's moving to nashville she was in her home for 50 years her husband passed away um she had a big 2 million dollar house that she no longer needs here her family part of her family is in um the nashville area she wants to be closer to them that's yeah. a reason for her to move um so she's she's packing up and moving uh, another gentleman son lives in 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 the arizona market uh phoenix market rather and selling his house here to be closer um to be closer to to them and and the one that i um that that just closed recently is a, a death situation um yeah. family inherited the property family passed away family doesn't want the property needs a lot of work they're selling. So those are all motivated sellers for you know one reason or another. The problem that we have is, is the lock-in effect. Like you mentioned, there's a lot of potential would-be sellers out there that their, their home doesn't necessarily fit what they need, whether right. they have a growing family, whether they're not really in the ideal location as to where they want to be. Maybe they just need a little bit more square foot. I kind of fall into this bucket to some extent mm-hmm. in the fact that I have a an interest rate locked in at 2.99%, and I want to buy something else. Now, there's a really good chance if I do buy something else, I keep my property because of that low interest rate, but I'm looking every day, but there's a lot of would-be sellers that need the money from that property you know, to buy the next property. And they look at it and they go, I have a 3% rate now. Not going I mean, anywhere. I, I'm going to a 6, 6.5% rate. My home price when I bought it back in, Let's just go pre-2020. Let's say they bought it in 2017 or something. You know, it's up considerably from then. Um, even the people that bought in 2020, prices are up considerably since then. So they look at it and go, prices are up, rates are up. That jump in affordability is huge. I mean, it takes yeah. a lot of money to get there. And property taxes, mortgage payment, all of it plays a factor. And therefore, you got people going, you know what? It would be nice to move. But I don't really need to move. And so they stay put and that keeps that inventory off the market. And this is something that Josh and I have had multiple conversations with offline and just, you know, friendly conversation goes asking the question, how does this correct itself? And unfortunately, I don't really have a good answer for it. I mean, you know, if, if rates weren't as high as they were right now, and you had a surplus of property on the market, it would be a a different environment. If you had a lot more property on the market right now, and interest rates were this high, you would see a big drop in home prices. The yeah, only we thing- would
1: have the dreaded crash. Yes. It's-
0: the only thing keeping prices high is the fact that there's no inventory on the market and there's no reason for people to put their properties on the market. Nope. You know, 2008 was a, was a time of distressed sellers. People had loans adjusting. People had, you know, just different things going on. It was cheaper to rent in many markets than it was to own that property. Uh, and, and you had people that said, you know what? I don't need this property anymore. It's down in value. I'm out. That's not the case now. And therefore, you don't have the potential of distressed sales coming to the market, flooding the market. So, you know, where's inventory going to come from? You know, how's it aff- affecting the first-time home buyer? It's definitely affecting the first-time home buyer. And the, sure. you know, you need that move-up buyer. You need that first person to sell their home to buy the, the move-up home for the first-time home buyer in many markets to get, quote, unquote, entry-level housing. And until you see a shift, either in rates or in supply, yeah. um, I don't see a, a pathway for, um, for a ton of, um, you know, sales yeah. to happen actually in the market.
1: Yeah. So I was asked, and we're going to close on this question. Uh, yeah. I was asked this by one of my followers. It, it, okay. Michael, I get the interest rate lock in great article in fortune. What's the rate that unlocks the move up buyer. So I'll close with what my thoughts were. Uh, but Josh, I will go to you first and Jeb second. Josh, at what rate do you think the move up buyer goes, okay, I'll list this home and I'll step up, get the extra bedroom, newer home, better school districts, whatever. What rate does that you think?
2: It's well, well under five, you know, And until we get to four and a half. And here's the interesting question. We get this on the live show, probably every other what? week, someone says, what, what rate will get those guys off the fences and open up supply for us. And I said, Okay. So that gave the answer that I just gave you, but I said the flip side of that, the only thing we care about is the supply-demand balance. Demand is way down right now, which is what we just talked about, but supply is way down. So now we're talking about, let's say tomorrow rates go to four and a half. We have some sellers come out, we increase supply doesn't change the supply-demand imbalance because we talked about in December and January what those lower rates did. Our our demand goes up and and absorbs that additional inventory um, at current prices, if not feeding a little bit of an upward spiral on that. So that's that's my concern. And that's a question that Jeb and I keep asking ourselves, what can fix it? If rates go too low, you get too much demand um, while bringing supply to the market. If rates don't go low enough, people don't move at all. It, it really is a tough question to answer. And anyone who believes in this crash is coming hypothesis hasn't looked at the basic economics of supply and demand.
0: Yeah. And I'll, I'll add on to that, Josh, and say the, 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 the main thing about what you just said is all of those properties that come to the market are, they're, they're sellers. If rates go low, right? They're potential sellers. Well, they're also buyers, right? Most people don't choose to sell real estate and go rent. But once you're a homeowner, you're likely a homeowner for life for the most part, okay. unless you have something crazy happen. So that one for one exchange. So you put a property on the market, but you're buying another property. So the inventory in my eyes, isn't really increasing. It's, you're you're giving one, you're taking one. It kind of stays the same. What's going to increase more supply? I don't have that question. But I think what helps unlock some supply is a rate. My guess is somewhere between four and a half and five percent. I think yeah. that's close enough um, you know, to what a lot of people have out there. You know, a lot of people are sitting at four-ish. So, you know, four and a half, yeah. four, seven, five is a is a number that I think is realistic. But again, it's it's just a guess.
1: Yeah, so my guess, gun to head, two seconds to think it was four percent. You know, you get to four percent. You know, I have assets below that. I go, oh, maybe. You know, look around. Yeah. And at the other end of the day, talking about the crash, uh, I actually called the crash. It wasn't a price crash; it was a transaction crash. I called forty to fifty percent again. Looking back at the early '80s, this was our our signpost that was coming. So everybody says, "Where's the crash?" I'm like, "We already had it. Did you not see four million transactions? That's down forty percent." We're still going to have some transactions. Jeb talked about it. Death, divorce, move for kids, all of that. We're never going to go to zero transactions, even at seven, even at 10% interest rates. Transaction will still happen. Yep. Oh, by the way, NAR reported today 26% of the transactions were cash. They're not interest rate sensitive. So again, the housing market has already had the crash. I know most people don't like to hear that because they want a repeat of the Great Recession. Where my market of Fresno, California fell 75% over five years. I'm sorry if you don't like it. That's just where we are. But Josh, Jeb, where can people find you? Thank you for being a part of One Rental at a Time today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, educatedhomebuyer.com, the um, is the website. You can find us uh, at the educated homebuyer on YouTube. Uh, check us out on Spotify, on Apple. Um, we're out there everywhere. And uh, Michael. Appreciate you having us on and um,
2: appreciate everyone listening.
1: Awesome. And Josh, if somebody wanted to reach out and talk to a no-nonsense mortgage guy, <laughs> how would they do that?
2: Go out to the, the podcast website. It's got all Jeb's contact info, all my contact info, and you can reach out there.
1: Fair enough. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a
0: local expert in your area? Please reach out at com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube and make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.